This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Amen. Praise God. All right, so let me show you the title of our message today. And here it is. Our message this morning is titled, The Holy Spirit, Our Comforter, Not Our Condemner. Now, look at that real carefully. We all know about the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We have Him within us. <laughs> Jesus said that He would send Him to us. But Jesus intended for Him to be our Comforter, not our Condemner. And you know, there are so many people that preach a message that basically portray the Holy Spirit as a condemner. And so you have believers who shy away from the Holy Spirit or who don't have fellowship or relationship with the Holy Spirit and really are just fearful and scared to even connect and, you know, just enjoy a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So what they do is they go from Holy Spirit meeting, Holy Ghost meeting to Holy Ghost meeting to revival meeting because to them, it's a safe environment. You know, there's lots of people around <laughs> and he's going to show there by his grace, show up there by his grace and they'll be hopefully catch a blessing. But in general, there are those who are afraid of the acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit and being with the Holy Spirit and enjoying time with the Holy Spirit and just embracing him, understanding that he embraces us by the very same nature and character of God, which is his unconditional love. Amen. I know that for me personally, when I was um, a fairly young Christian, you know, when I was new to understanding scripture and salvation and redemption in Jesus, and I heard about the Holy Spirit, unfortunately for me, I was in the environment where, you know, the teaching was mixed between law and grace. And so <laughs> what would happen is, is that, you know, I, I, I appreciated the Holy Spirit I had a lot of understanding about the Holy Spirit eventually, but I was a little reluctant and a little shy and a little, yeah, I guess reluctant is the word, to really engage with the Holy Spirit because I was told that He convicts us of sin, that He would be the one that would make me aware when I fall short, when I, you know, when unrighteousness is, is there in my life. And he would basically warn me about the judgment of God. And so I would think to myself, okay, so God the Father has a high standard and it's perfection. So really I cannot approach him. And then we have the Holy Spirit who's the, and, and excuse the phrase here, but I'm explaining my situation, which I believe is the situation of many people. And so I saw the Holy Spirit as a policeman. He is the policeman. He's the one who guards and watches and keeps an eye on my behavior, my conduct and what I'm doing, what I'm not doing. And he points it all out to me and corrects me and hopefully helps me. So really, at the end of the day, <laughs> I saw Jesus as my only ally in the Trinity because he's the one that gave his life for me. He's the one that went to the cross for me. And he's the one that said he will, you know, never leave me or forsake me and he will love me unconditionally. And so that kind of was my mindset for a long time. For many, many years, I would see, I would be scared of the Father because He's just so holy and so awesome. And I would be a little reluctant of the Holy Spirit just because of how I saw His role. You know, eventually, whatever He did, 
I would feel like he, it's, it was condemning because if he was going to point out sin to me, if he was going to show me unrighteousness in my life and make me aware of the judgment of God, well, you know, who wants to be around someone like that, to be quite honest? And I say that with all due respect, we're going somewhere today. And so the only ally I felt that I had was Jesus because of what he did for me, not realizing that God is one, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all have the same nature and character. They all love me unconditionally, but oftentimes it's the misunderstanding of Scripture. And so that was one of these things. And so <laughs> this is why I had this thought, you know, that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said He would be my comforter, but then I would see in the same breath, it's almost like He said, no, actually He's going to be the one who convicts you, and he's going to be your condemner because if he convicts me, then he makes me feel condemned. So, you know, I would see him as a condemner. And there are many people in Christendom today who see the Holy Spirit that way, who relate to him that way, who kind of approach him or don't like I did when I was a younger Christian. And, you know, that's one of the things we want to clarify today and just settle for once and realize that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and He is not our condemner. He is not our convictor. And you will see that now. And I know immediately someone may be saying, but hold on, I know scripture that says that He is and that He does. You're right. <laughs> and we're going to clarify that today. So let's have a look at that portion that is often used to say that the Holy Spirit convicts everyone of sin, that He convicts them of righteousness, in other words, their unrighteousness, and that he convicts them of pending judgment, the judgment of God. This is found in John 16, verse 18, reading from the King James translation. This is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. And watch what he says here. He says, uh, what did I say, verse 8? Oh, okay, John 16, verse 8. And when he is come, watch this, he, talking about the Holy Spirit, will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, most modern translations say convict, and you can actually put it that way. It's not as accurately translated, but it is. So you could say, and when He is come, that's the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So right there, you can conclude, if that's all you look at, you can conclude that the Holy Spirit will reprove, in other words, He will convict everyone, it says the world, everyone, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, if we just take that at face value, you can see why, <laughs> for so long I understood it the way I did, and some people still understand it that way. Because they say, see, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. It is to convict you. Of sin, or you could say to reprove, which is the better word, which is a similar meaning, to reprove you of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And so if that's the case, how do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit if that's what He's going to do? I mean, I'm thinking of myself, and you know, in life I've been around people, I've been around situations, I've worked for people who that's what they do. They're always pointing out your faults. They're always pointing out the wrong. They're always pointing out where you fall short. And I mean, it's hard to have a loving, free relationship with someone like that. And yet, it looks like that's what Jesus said 
about the Holy Spirit. And so let's have a look <laughs> at that word reprove in uh, or from the Strong's Concordance. In other words, let's have a look at the original meaning and see how else it can be translated and what it means. So here it is here from the Strong's Concordance. Watch this. It's the word reprove or you could say convict. There's the Greek number and it's the word, as you can see pronounced there, elenko. Elenko. That's how you pronounce it. And here's what it means, and here's, it can also be translated more accurately. <laughs> it means to confute, <laughs> to admonish, to convict, to convince, to tell a fault, to rebuke, to reprove. So it's interesting when you look at it. There's no way you can get around it and see what it's saying. So, so far, we have to come to the conclusion that it looks like <laughs> that's one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. That He will definitely confute, admonish, convict, convince, tell us our faults, rebuke, and reprove us. So now, I have to ask you the question. When someone proves you wrong, which is what it means to confute. When someone proves you wrong, when someone reprimands you, that's what it means to, to admonish. When someone tells you your faults, when someone criticizes you. That's what it means to convict. When someone disapproves of you, how does that make you feel? I'm sure you agree with me, not, not good. We can't attribute good things to that. It doesn't make us feel good and ultimately you feel condemned. You feel like, what's the point? I mean, what am I doing here? Now, if you just go with that so far, you can see why there's teaching out there and understanding which is misunderstanding that that's what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. But yet, because people fear God and they don't want to speak against God or, you know, go against the grain because of judgment, they, well, they, you know, they embrace the Holy Spirit in a certain way, but this reservation of Him doing that is there all the time. Many people, and all of us, none of us are perfect in and of ourselves. In fallen Adam, we were never perfect. And so, why would you want to then enjoy and embrace the Holy Spirit, knowing that the closer you get to Him, the more He's going to reprove you, the more He's going to show you where you are wrong, the more He's going to reprimand you, the more He's going to tell you your fault, the more He's going to criticize and disapprove of you, if we just go with that as it is. So it's tough. Now, <clears throat> is that what the Holy Spirit does to people then? Because remember, Jesus said, he will do this to the world. So is that what he does to people? Especially to the believer, because the believer belongs to God. They are children of God. And you know yourself, I mean, I have my daughter. I feel like as a parent, I have a certain place and right to reprove my daughter. But I can't go around reproving everyone's children because I'm not their parent. And so, you know, <laughs> if we are the beloved of God, that means that He will do more so for us. And so it makes it even tougher. Now, <laughs> to understand this properly and adequately, we, have, we can begin by going one, just one verse back to see what Jesus said. Now, at first, it may seem like it makes it even more confusing. But you'll see, context is important. Remember, I always say to you, if you really want to understand the Bible correctly, you need to read it in context. You need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And you look, need to look at everything through 
the lens of the finished work of the cross. Or you could say, through the eyes of God's unconditional love. Then you will always understand it correctly. So let's do that. Let's go one verse back and we'll include it with verse 8. And let's see the context of what Jesus was saying. Watch us now. John 16 verse 7 and 8 from the King James translation. So watch what Jesus says here. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He's talking about going back to heaven after his resurrection. He says, For if I go not away, watch us now, the Comforter, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. You'll see that now. He says, The Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So right there, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Comforter or as our Comforter. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? But then in the same breath, watch what he says. And when he is come, watch us now, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That almost seems like he's saying the opposite thing right there. Because you can see in context, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, not the condemner. But yet, in the same breath, he seems to be describing him as one who will ultimately make us feel condemned because he's going to reprove sin and righteousness and judgment. And so it's a bit of a tough situation. Now, to help us understand it clearer, let's have a look at that word comforter from the original as well. And let's have a look at the Strong's Concordance here for the word comforter. It's there on the screen. There's a Greek number. And you see it's the word pronounced parakletos. That's how you actually pronounce it. I'll put it in there in, in uh, uh, parentheses or what do you call those? We, I know them as brackets, but I know most Americans don't understand it that way. But nonetheless, there it is there. It's the word parakletos. That's how you pronounce it. So that's what comfort is. And here's it, how, or <laughs> here is how it should be translated directly. Look at this. Called to one's <laughs> aid, an advocate, an intercessor, a consoler, comforter, helper. Now look at those meanings again. Nowhere there is there a hint of condemnation in the meaning. So what was Jesus saying when he said he will reprove? Obviously he's talking about it in the context of comforting. Because apparently here, he's going to send him, he is going, but then the Holy Spirit will come and he came to be there for our aid, to help us in other words. So it's not to not help us with condemnation, but help us in a good way. He will advocate for us. He will stand between us and the Father. And it says that he will console us, he will comfort and he will help us. So clearly, it's a different meaning altogether. There is definitely no hint of condemnation in the meaning or someone who's going to have a negative effect on, our, on us in the meaning. So what we see so far here is, is that verse 7 seems to indicate that the Holy Spirit does the opposite of how he's described in verse 8. Do you follow what I'm saying? That's exactly what it seems. So then we have to ask another question. 
So does the Holy Spirit reprove us, comfort us, or both? And that would be a little weird. I know some people will say, well, as parents we do that. You know, we love our children, but we also have to correct our children. And we think, well, that's how the Holy Spirit must be. That's where we get it from. Well, yeah, I mean, true love will do that. But is that really how perfect love and a holy God, a God who is love, is that how He is toward us? Does He reprove us? Does He convict us, in other words? Does He comfort us? Or does He do both? It appears that Jesus is saying He does both. And I'm thinking, well, I better make sure then that I fellowship with the Holy Spirit on a good day when I've behaved well. Because if I haven't, and I'm looking forward to the comforter, and I end up getting the condemner, the one who convicts me because he's more interested in my well-being, then I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to walk out of the room thinking and expecting comfort, and I'm going to get judgment and you know disapproval and all that. I mean, is that the kind of relationship? It sounds weird, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like the nature of God. And I can tell you now and submit to you that that's not what it is. Now, to help us understand this more, the key is actually found in verse 8. Let's look at it again. Here it comes. Remember, Jesus said here, And when He is come, He will reprove, there's your key word right there, the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, the world talks about everyone here. That's how we would generally read it. And it is partly true, but there's more to that meaning than we realize. And so I want to show you that today. And unfortunately, most original, source, original language sources don't carry and convey this really deep meaning and the root and where it comes from to help us understand what John was saying here. So I want to show you the meaning of that word world from the pocket lexicon to the Greek New Testament, a great original language resource as well. Watch this now, because it gives us the whole history, you could say the etymology of the word, as far as culturally where it came from. Watch this. It says the, wor the word world, and there's the Greek number, and it's the word cosmos. Now, the first meaning <laughs> is the universe, the world, the sum total of created things. So it's talking about the entire world. But then look at the secondary meaning. And that's, I believe, the one that has been used here and John applied here. And you'll see why in a moment. Watch this. Let's read that. It says, a Jewish conception. In other words, it has Jewish origins and it comes from Jewish culture and its meaning has Jewish uh, culture in it. A Jewish conception. Watch this. <clears throat> the word has acquired a bad sense in Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah 13 verse 11, the sum of the fierce surrounding of heathen nations. So Isaiah used it to refer to the heathen, the ungodly, the unsaved, we could say. Then it says, the powers of the heathen world, in other words, the unsaved world, at once destructive and corruptive. Hence, the world as a, a part from God, its creator, the world as self-sufficient, consequently running counter to its creator, and thus evil in its tendency. And there it gives other references where you can see that's exactly how it should be translated and what it means. 
So the bottom line that we see there is, is that when John wrote and he says that the Holy Spirit will reprove the world, he was talking about the unsaved more than he was talking about the believer, the saved person. So already there, that begins to settle this for us. And we can now see and understand that what he was saying is, is that the Holy Spirit will have a reproving role in the life of the unsaved more than the saved as far as reproving goes. In actual fact, we can say here it's exclusively to the unsaved. So to the unsaved, he's going to reprove or you could say convict them of sin, of righteousness and judgment. But even then, it's not the role where he's going to say, well, look what you did there. That's sin. Feel bad. I disapprove of you. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. He's not going to say, well, see, that was unrighteous. You see how righteous God is? Measure it against it. You are bad. You are unrighteous. That's not what it's saying. And by the way, you've done that too. So guess what? Judgment is coming. God is going to judge you. That's not what it's saying either. But yet most people interpret the thing to say that. I say, okay, so he's talking to the unsaved, but he still has that role. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit playing policeman and basically engaging in watching sin happen and then pointing it out to the unsaved? It just doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like the nature of God because that's not what it is. And so let's read that same portion from the Passion Translation now, which will help us because it amplifies it beautifully from the original. And so you're going to see now what we're going to do is we're going to read some of the more context of it. So we're going to read verse 8 to 11 to get the rest of the context of this portion. And you'll see how Jesus actually clarifies this beautifully to help us understand that the Holy Spirit, as he said in verse 7, is our comforter and not our condemner. Even to the unsaved, he's a comforter, not a condemner, not a convictor. I know some people think that part of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is convict us. And they say that righteously and expectantly and think they are being doctrinally correct. But that's not what this, I used to be one of those, but that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is he is here to comfort you, to come alongside you and aid you and help you overcome these things. That's what he's saying. Look at this again. So John 16 verse 8 to 11 from the Passion Translation. <coughs> Watch this. Watch this now with some of the context. It says, and when he comes, he will <laughs> expose sin and prove that the world is wrong. Watch this. You see, this is why I say to you, I know some people have a problem with the Passion. And I think the enemy has tried to attack this translation so much because it's actually very accurate. I've looked into it. I've shown you many times in many messages. <laughs> but anyway, so watch what he says. And when he comes, he will expose sin and prove that the world, now you know that's talking about the unsaved, is wrong about God's righteousness and his judgments. Right there already we begin to see that he's there to help them to come alongside and help them in that situation, not convict them and judge them and make them feel condemned in the situation. But then, to make sure we get, the, we get it, in context, Jesus actually explains 
what he means exactly what he just said. And he explains it step by step. He explains the issue of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Watch this verse 9 through 10. Okay, so let me read that again so we can see. <laughs> and when he comes, he will expose sin and prove the, that the world is wrong about God's righteousness and his judgments. Then he says, sin because they refuse to believe in who I am. So basically what Jesus is saying right there is there is only one sin that the Holy Spirit is going to expose to the unbeliever. That there's one sin that the Holy Spirit is going to make the unsaved aware of. And that is the sin of not believing in Jesus, which is unbelief. See, it's not all a list of sins and every sin that a person does. That's not what he does. He is simply going to show the unsaved the sin you have in your life that really matters here. And I'm not saying it's okay to sin. <laughs> Don't read that wrong. But he's going to show them there's one sin in your life, which is unbelief. In other words, not believing in Jesus. Then he goes on in verse 10 and he says, God's righteousness, because I'm going back to join the Father and you'll see me no more. Now we know that Jesus went and sat at the right hand of God as our intercessor, having attained eternal redemption for us, which includes righteousness. So we are righteous in Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. What he's saying is, I'm going to convict the world. I'm going to reprove them. In other words, I'm going to point them to, I'm going to make them aware, not only that they need to believe in Jesus, but also that righteousness is found in Jesus because he's seated at the right hand of God as evidence. And therefore, you can have absolute righteousness in Jesus. That's what this is saying. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 11, he qualifies the judgment part. And he says, And judgment, because the ruler of this dark world has already received his sentence. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that Satan and sin, if you read the greater context, as a matter of fact, so that Satan and sin have already been judged. In other words, you already have victory in Jesus. You can live in a victory that he has already attained. So when you read all of this in context, you can see that that is the role of a comforter, not a condemner, not someone who convicts. If he convicts you of anything, it's of not believing in Jesus, not understanding that righteousness, or you could say right standing before God, is found in Jesus, and that you've already have victory over sin and Satan in Jesus. So he is doing good things. Doesn't that bring comfort to you? I mean, if you're fellowshipping with him, you don't have to be concerned or, you know, with the old, incorrect, traditional uh, interpretation of it and think, well, you know, I hope it's a good day. I hope I haven't messed up bad and I'm going to leave actually encouraged. But hopefully, you know, if for any reason the Holy Spirit decides to point things out to me, you know, I'll just have to take it and go with the punches and just be man enough or woman enough to take it. No, you can feel absolutely comfortable knowing that as your comforter, he's always going to point you to Jesus. He's always going to point you to righteousness in Jesus. He's always going to point you to victory that you already have in Jesus. Doesn't that sound like someone who brings comfort? Of course it does. 
You know, when you go to someone and they love you, and it's not that they want to excuse your wrong or just let you be that way, but ultimately they're mature enough and they understand and they know, you know, it's pointless me putting a mirror in front of your face and reminding you of all the things you've done wrong. You know you've done wrong. You feel the condemnation already on your own. Your conscience already bothers you. So they encourage you, they motivate you, and they tell you, you're greater than that. I know you can rise above that. You know, don't worry about it. Move on. Trust God. Well, yeah, you feel encouraged. You feel motivated. How much more does this say that that's what the Holy Spirit does? So even though you have the unsaved, who may be living as sinful as anything, and as God-defiant as anything, yet the Holy Spirit is there to let them know, you just need to believe in Jesus and you need to you can have righteousness in him and you can enjoy the victory that Jesus already got for you doesn't that sound like the nature and the character of God it absolutely does amen now remember <laughs> earlier on we asked the question does the holy spirit reprove us in other words convict us comfort us or both well you can see from that that he does only one of them, it is comfort us. Amen? Because we've seen in that portion that firstly, the Holy Spirit makes the unsaved aware of one sin, and that sin is of unbelief. Unbelief in Jesus. <laughs> That's the first one. Secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit reminds us that right standing before God is only found in Jesus. That's what he was talking about. And then thirdly, we have seen, as Jesus explained, that the Holy Spirit reminds us that we have victory over sin and the devil in Jesus. So we don't have to fight for victory. We already stand in victory. When we pray, we pray from a place of victory. When we make petitions to God, we do them from a place of victory. When we fellowship with God, we do it from a place of victory. We don't have to get the victory. We have the victory. That's what he's pointing out. So the Holy Spirit does not convict anyone of sin. Did you hear what I said? I've just shown you. I've just shown you a lot. I've said a lot. I can't go back and say it all. But you can see from that that the Holy Spirit does not convict anyone of sin. Why? Because He is our comforter. He is not our condemner. He is not our convictor, if I can put it that way. Amen. He comforts us by continuously pointing us to Jesus. You saw that. I've shown you. Jesus explained it and qualified it. He went to all three and he described what it is, right? And so <laughs> that's what he does. He, the way that he comforts us is by pointing us continuously to Jesus. When you feel bad, look at Jesus and who you are in Jesus. When you're struggling with something, Look at the victory you have in Jesus. When you don't feel so righteous before God, maybe you've messed up, maybe not even, in, in, you know, maybe even intentionally, the Holy Spirit points you to righteousness in Jesus. That's what it means to be a comforter. And you can see, now you see why I say it's so dangerous to take Scripture out of context, out of its context, because we can come up with doctrines that are wrong, that are misleading and sends us, send us off in, you know, spirals that we don't need to be in. Amen. Praise God that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 to 18, actually 
proves this to us. So don't get distracted by what is in between, but look at this over here. Hebrews 10 verse 14 to 18 from the Passion Translation. Watch what it says there. Watch carefully what I've emboldened. Okay? It says, And by His one perfect sacrifice, talking about Jesus, He made us, watch this, perfectly holy and complete for all time. So when you receive salvation in Jesus, you are made perfectly holy and complete for all time, eternally. Amen. Now watch what it says next. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit confirms this to us. By the scripture, for the Lord says. Now before we continue, look, what does the Holy Spirit confirm to us? That we have been made perfectly holy and complete in Jesus for all time. So what is there to convict us about? What is there to make us condemned about? You can see it's congruent with how Jesus explained that portion, right? And so watch what he says here, verse 16. Afterward, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. Now watch this, verse 17, still talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he says, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. This is the Holy Spirit speaking here because he's God. They are on the same page about our redemption. And so this is why it says the Holy Spirit is going to confirm to you that you have been forgiven for your sin, that you are holy before God once for all time. And just to make sure you get it, the Holy Spirit himself is voicing this to you, that he will never again remember your sins and lawless deeds. Then it says in verse 18, For if our sins have been, notice past tense, forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sin. So in essence, what that is saying to you and me is, is that the Holy Spirit, just like God the Father, just like Jesus the Son, will never reconnect our sin to our lives and remember it. It says He, dis, he does not remember. He dismembers our sin from our lives because He sees us now as holy and righteous before Him in Jesus for all time. But notice the emphasis was on the Holy Spirit confirming this to us and the Holy Spirit saying this to us. And he's not schizophrenic. He doesn't have any personality disorder or anything like that. He's not going to go and, you know, change his mind based on mood and this and that and going to, you know, now all of a sudden convict us and make us feel bad and guilty and condemn us. No, you can see this is all congruent. And it expresses the same thing because the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is not our condemner. Amen. Praise God for that. So you can see that the Holy Spirit does not convict anyone of their sin because the sin issue has been dealt with by Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Your judgment for sin took place at the cross on Jesus. Amen. And that's what this is saying. So at the end of the day, any conviction we experience is not from the Holy Spirit. It is from our own conscience. Because God has given us a conscience. So don't go and attribute conviction, condemnation to the Holy Spirit. I've just proven to you and shown you that He doesn't do that. 
Sadly, traditionally it's taught that way, but you can see it's wrong. So <laughs> what I'm saying to you is, is that whenever you experience conviction or condemnation, understand and know that it's your own conscience. It is not the Holy Spirit doing that to you. Amen. Now I know that someone will jump up and say immediately after me having said that, they're going to say, well, isn't it godly to be mindful of our sins and failures? I mean, isn't that pious? Isn't that a godly attribute? Shouldn't the believer be mindful and conscious of sins and failures? Because then that's how they are humble and that's how they make things right and fix them. Well, I have news for you. We'll have to tear out Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 to 4 out of our Bibles if that were true. Look at this. Let's read it from the Passion Translation. And what this is doing is it's comparing old covenant sacrifices to the sacrifice of Jesus. Watch this now. It says the old system. Notice we live by the new system, not by the old system. So we don't relate to God by law. We relate to Him by grace. That's what this is saying. The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Talking about Jesus. Even with a steady stream of sacrifices, because remember they had to sacrifice it once a year, a big sacrifice, and then every day there were all kinds of sacrifices for sin. So a stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still, watch this, was nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. So no matter how much they sacrificed as the type of Jesus, it would never, there was nothing that could get the result that Jesus' sacrifice actually got for us. Then it says in verse 2 and 3, For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, implying that Jesus' sacrifice eliminates sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshippers, watchers, would have Clean consciences, right? Can you see that? Clear consciences. You see, this is why you and I can have a clear conscience about sin. Because Jesus, our sacrifice, eliminated the sin issue between us and God. That doesn't mean that you need to sear your conscience and not be aware when you do wrong or think that you can just go ahead and do wrong. I mean, that's not the effect that that has on us, right? But notice, clean consciences. Then it says, instead was not enough, so by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshippers, watchers, were continually reminded of their sins, with their hearts still impure. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? Refer inferring that the sacrifice of Jesus removes sin's guilt. So to answer the question, isn't it godly to be mindful of our sins and failures? The answer is no. You can see that once we understand redemption in Jesus and what He did for us at the cross, then we understand that the sacrifice, once for all time, that took care of the sin issue between me and God, has been dealt with. Therefore, I no longer need to be conscious, need to be mindful of sins and failures. And the Holy Spirit is there to remind me whenever my conscience may try and may make me feel condemned and may make me think that it's a Holy Spirit. He's actually there to let me know and point me to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are forgiven. In Jesus, 
you are righteous. In Jesus, you have victory over this. You've got it. Amen. Praise God, praise God. Someone should be happy and thrilled and jumping up now. I feel like doing that, but anyway. So the Holy Spirit does not convict anyone of sin. And I mean, think about this. Please listen carefully to what I'm about to say. To convict means to find guilty. True? The Holy Spirit doesn't do that to us. So to convict means to find guilty. And if you think about it, in a judicial system, a conviction is followed by a sentence. There's a sentencing that follows, right? And a sentence <laughs> is followed by a punishment. Isn't that how the judicial system works? In the Old Covenant under the law, we see that that's how God's judicial system worked. Someone was convicted, declared as guilty. A sentence was passed based on the law. And now the punishment of the law is what they would have to face. So we understand that's how it works. And think about it. Someone who has been convicted and serves out and sentenced and then serves out a judicial punishment, what do we call them? We call them a convict because that's how they became one, right? Now think about this. Does God really see us that way? Is that the role of the Holy Spirit to convict you, to sentence you, and then to send you off to punishment? No. We've seen Jesus said. All He does is He points you to believing in Jesus. Then He shows you that, that righteousness is found in Jesus and that you already have victory in Jesus. That's how He comforts you. In actual fact, He does the very opposite of that. What He does is He shows you what you deserve, Jesus took. And you get what you don't deserve in and through Jesus. Amen. That's how God sees us. Look at this in John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send His Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its Savior and rescue it. You see, that's the heart of God. That's the, the heart of our loving Father. He didn't send Jesus to judge and condemn. Why would He think that He would send the Holy Spirit to judge and condemn? Definitely not. Amen. But then, more so, look at John 14 verse 16, tied to what I just said. Jesus said yeah, that the Holy Spirit would be exactly as He is. And we've just seen that God didn't send Him to judge and condemn the world. And then look at this in John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and He will give you, watch this, another. In other words, one who is like me. And apparently he's not, He didn't come to judge or condemn. He says, another one who's like me. He says, helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, to be with you forever. Look at that real carefully. Jesus did not say, and He will give you another condemner. Because Jesus is not a condemner. He, neither did He say, and He will give you another convictor. Because Jesus is not a convictor. Right? He's our Savior. He rescued us. 
And he said, the Holy Spirit is your comforter, one who comes to your aid, who is by you. So you can see clearly there that the Trinity is in unity about how they see us. Amen. Praise God. Praise God for Jesus. Now, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, for the Holy Spirit, here it is, <laughs> makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Isn't that powerful? I mean, that is just so awesome. If you want to know the role the Holy Spirit plays in your life and what he does in your life, you've already seen how Jesus explained that he is your comforter. And now he goes and he says, he makes God's fatherhood real to you. In other words, you don't have to feel like an orphan. You don't have to feel fatherless. You don't have to feel like you don't have a family. You don't have to feel like you don't belong. The Holy Spirit will help you understand that you have a father in heaven who loves you and will love you for eternity always. And he will whisper in your heart, in your conscience, in your innermost being. He will continuously whisper, you are God's beloved child. Isn't that comforting? How could we think that the Holy Spirit would do anything other than the nature and character of God in our lives? Amen. So you can see that the Holy Spirit does not treat us as convicts, but as righteous, holy, and beloved children of God. Amen. You see, and I'm about to say something profound. Listen to this carefully. You ready? Never let the devil try to pass himself in your life as the Holy Spirit under the guise of conviction. Did you hear what I said? I say that from experience. I say it from having lived it. And even to this day, he tries that. Never let the devil try to pass himself off in your life as the Holy Spirit under the guise of conviction. If, if there is a convictor out there, if there is a condemner out there, it's the devil. And you know what? He's going to try and fool believers and fool people and make them think it's the Holy Spirit convicting them when it's really Him doing that to discredit the Holy Spirit and to sway us from the real role of the Holy Spirit, which is to be our comforter. Don't ever let Him do that. Amen. You see, whenever there's an area in our lives that we need to work on, what does the Holy Spirit do? He points us one way. And what is that? To Jesus and the finished work of the cross. We've seen that. Jesus explained that to us. So <laughs> whenever there's something, if you begin to sense conviction, it's either your conscience and you need to go back to the Word and let the Holy Spirit point you to Jesus, or it's the devil trying to pass himself off as the Holy Spirit under the guise of conviction. What are you going to do? Let the Holy Spirit point you to Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Amen. You see, what He does is He points us to who we are and what we have in Jesus. Not who we were and what we had in fallen Adam. That's the devil's specialty. Don't let him do that. Amen. Don't let him make you think that it's the Holy Spirit doing that. You see, this is why we can have 
intimate, freed, unconcerned fellowship with the Holy Spirit because He truly is our comforter. He is not our condemner. Amen. Never forget that. Praise God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.